This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza media podcast about all things in print. It's Stuart in L.A., and I'm wrapping up my stay at the Bates Motel by reviewing Psycho House, author Robert Block's third and final novel set in the Norman Bates universe. Now, I'll be honest, this was a real discovery for me. I had no idea when I agreed to cover the Psycho books as a companion to uh, sister podcast, NowPlayingPodcast.com's fall Psycho donation drive. I thought I was just going to read two novels. I had no idea there was a trilogy. I thought it was clear after reading Psycho 2 that Block was done with the franchise. Hollywood rejected his concept for a sequel. He went and turned that into a very bitter, anti-Hollywood, anti-consumerism Psycho 2 novel. By the end of that book, there is no one left alive to care about to continue on into future stories. Norman Bates in Robert Block's world is dead. And I don't mean killed at the end of the last novel, but we can magically resuscitate him at the start of a new story, the way that many slashers kind of work it. No, Norman Bates burned to a crisp in a car accident at the beginning of Robert Block's Psycho 2. And that all the killings that we saw that followed were actually done by his psychotic shrink from the asylum. And sure, okay, we could continue on with him. We could keep following a bloodbath as performed by Dr. Adam Claiborne, but that hardly seems to have the name recognition of something masses of people would want to hear about. Block knows that if he's going to continue on with this, he has to tie in with the infamous deeds of the original. People know a movie 40 years ago better than they know the book that he wrote eight years ago. They don't know Psycho 2. He has to build it off Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So thus, Psycho House. That's what you have to go, right? Well, just go with the establishment. Except that Black destroyed that too in the last novel. The end of Psycho 2, it was mentioned that Hollywood had to shoot the movie about Norman's life on a soundstage because everything outside of Fairvale had been demolished. There is no more Psycho House. Why is this third book called Psycho House? It's gone. It has been raised. Why did Block write a third book at all? Honestly, I think he would have happily let this franchise stay dead. He was a very successful author. He had had a very long career, a very successful awarded one beyond Norman Bates. I don't think he needed the paycheck. Honestly, I blame Hollywood. After Universal Studios turned down his vision of Psycho 2, they went and made their own, saw that it made $40 million, and just kept going. They made Psycho 3, then they tried to turn it into an NBC TV series called Bates Motel. I know it sounds wacky, but you can hear my thoughts on all of these things, all of these sequels. I have already, with Arnie and Brock, covered at nowplayingpodcast.com's fall donation drive. If you want to hear those, head to the website, click on the donor page banner, and uh, you can get the shows and and hear my varied opinions about those works. I, I like some, I don't like some, but I think Block hated it all. I think that he hated the fact that they had taken a real-life crime that happened on his home turf 
and turn it into a cottage industry. I mean, keep in mind, when Block wrote Psycho back in 1959, it was all based on Ed Gein, those unspeakable crimes he did desecrating the corpses of women. Uh, The book had a therapeutic value. I think that it allowed everyday people to think and talk and converse about things that respectable journalism of the time couldn't print. You just couldn't talk about the horrendous deeds of that era. So now to flash forward into the late 80s and to see that Ed Gein is now a movie star that his house is an amusement park attraction with a gift shop. You know, they even made a, a, a computer game of Psycho. I had it. I I don't know how you won, but you wandered around room from room. Uh, it was kind of like Mist or something. It was a puzzle game, and eventually you stumble on a, a pixelated Norman in a dress in the fruit cellar, uh, wielding a knife. I I never could get very far into the game, but think about it. That's ridiculous. A serial killer you covered 40 years ago is now the star of his own video game. Block wants to reclaim this character, and so I think that's why in 1990, the same year that Psycho 4 appears as a cable movie on Showtime, Psycho House is going to appear on bookshelves. And the psychopath at the center of all of this is not a meek motel owner who puts on a dress and stalks women. It is us. Make no mistake, this is pointed critique at us, the consumers and the purveyors of Norman Bates. Society at large is put on trial. Our culture has turned a serial killer into a celebrity, and exhibitionists are making money off of real-life murder to block where the psychopaths. That's what his book is about. So we're going to return to modern-day Fairvale, which is a dying small town on the outskirts of Chicago, and see how all of those people that still live there are pinning their future fortunes on the tragedy of their past. We're introduced to entrepreneur Otto Fatso Rimbach, who has invested all of this money into a tourist trap that is a recreation of both the Bates Motel and the house. Uh, Those that want to cough up an entrance fee will be greeted by an animatronic Norman Bates at a motel front desk, and he's going to usher you into cabin number one, where a statue of original victim Mary Crane cowers in the shower stall. Then you can go up and find a withered corpse of mother in the fruit cellar and take your picture with it. Don't forget to stop by the diner, where they'll serve you a murder burger with a side of sauerkraut. Ugh. I know, you know, it sounds like too much, but keep in mind this was going on. If you went to Universal Studios Florida, you could buy a Bates Motel towel. You could buy a Norman doll. They had done it. Ed Gein has been commercialized. And so this is really what Psycho House is about. But of course, we got to have a murder, right? All of the other books start out with a murder. So Block recognizes quickly he's got to get us invested into this new world, this new sharp satire, by giving us another death. And so the scenario he sets up at the beginning is two teenage black girls sneaking into this fake Bates Motel after hours and getting a look at all of these recreations, laughing, becoming familiar with a history that happened long ago that they didn't grow up with. I think it's a good perspective to start. If you were picking this novel up and had never seen a psycho movie or read a psycho book, you would quickly understand the world. He's done a good job there. 
it's also just kind of an unfamiliar scenario. I mean, it's implied these girls are lesbians, or at least one of them is, and they're hoping to make out with their high school crush. That's nothing I've seen in any 80s slasher movie. I'm, I'm intrigued. What's going to happen? Of course, a shadowy figure with a knife appears and hacks one up as they're snooping around, and that's going to kick things off. All right, what are, what are we going to do? I'm totally invested at the start of Psycho House, and then I never am again. Believe it or not, it will take a hundred more pages before Block gets back into exploring the mystery of who killed high school freshman Teresa Dawson. I mean, I like his whole take on how we've exploited Ed Gein. I think we deserve the lampoon that he's sending us. But it's not funny enough to sustain a hundred pages and this sloggy setup that I have to get through. I cannot believe that an editor didn't intervene here and tell Robert that you just, you can't do this. If you're going to call it psycho, it deserves to follow more of the formula of the other two novels. We need to have more consistent killing. We need to have a psychopath. I mean, what we'll eventually learn is that Teresa Dawson's murderer isn't that important. They're not crazy. It was a crime of happenstance. She was killed only because she happened to see someone stealing the the fake corpse of mother from the basement. And because they wanted no witnesses of them being there, they killed her with a knife. But that's why she died. Not because a psycho had any sexual thoughts about her. Not because there is a serial killer roaming the place that wants to get everyone. No, it was just you know, a random killing. And we find that out way at the end after meeting literally dozens and dozens of characters. So the rest of the novel really is about who's going to be in control of this tourist trap. You know, Mother's Corpse does reappear in the bed of a dead man. It's it's Fatso Rimbach, the man that funded the Psycho House tourist trap, is eventually found slashed up in his bed. His mistress is found killed in her car outside. It gets tongues wagging, and we're bouncing around dozens of characters. Who could be doing it? Uh, every time we get suspicious, uh, a clue as to who's involved and who's behind it, they wind up dead too. Maybe they commit suicide or they're killed, but an endless series of new faces that are exposed as possible suspects and then quickly taken out. I will spare you the intricacies of what happens in this 180-page story, but just know that the culprit is ultimately doing it because they're greedy. They want all the profits from this new psycho house tourist trap, and so everything that they're doing is just a way of ensuring that it all gets to them. It is, uh, again, the, the victim, the psychopath, is greed. There's, there's no crazy killer here. There's just someone that wants to get rich. This is easily the worst book in the Psycho trilogy. It probably shouldn't have even been published. Uh, the editor probably should have gone to Robert Block and said, yeah, I know that you're pissed at what they've done, but this is not the way to handle that. I mean, its only value are its satirical targets, but who cares who gets killed when you hate all the suspects, when you hate all the victims, when everyone is out uh, for themselves and is greedy, and it's no fun to watch. I mean, and our hero, the person that we're supposed to be following, is living in some romance novel fantasy. I mean, the main character is this investigative journalist named Amy Haynes. She's 27. She's essentially the same age as Mary Crane as when she 
stumbled into the psycho hotel and got killed and will that happen to her now that she's come to Fairvale to research a new book about Norman you know she bounces around she's the person that we meet all of these other characters through she falls in love with the local sheriff a lot of time is devoted to her liking him it it, it seems unfocused really I mean this is not what we want out of a psycho novel again it made me wonder as I was getting through this now that Norman is out of the picture have I ever liked any other character that Robert Block has created? I gotta say no. I mean, I really feel like at the end of the day, you needed Norman. And oddly enough, this plot, this very premise, is the premise that Anthony Perkins, the actor, wanted for Psycho 4, coming out the same year. He wanted his vision for Psycho 4 to be that someone created a tourist trap out of the Bates Motel, and Norman Bates would break out of the asylum and come back and kill everyone responsible for exploiting his name and murderous reputation. The advantage to that is, if they had gone that route, they didn't, they did their own thing, but if they had gone that route, they'd at least have had Norman. They'd at least have had a horror icon, and and someone to watch. Here, there's just no one to watch. There's just no character to hold our attention. When Norman was killed in Psycho 2, so was my interest in anything that were to follow. I mean, this is a pretty strong not recommend for Psycho House, following a not recommend for Psycho 2. I think that Robert Block did right, obviously. He did something right in creating that first Psycho novel. But the other two, they're bitter. They don't really function as page turners and thrillers. I I just feel like he's got an axe to grind with hucksters and people that maybe wouldn't pay him for his vision of a psycho sequel. There's just not a lot of entertainment here to be had. So those are my thoughts on all of the psycho novels. Despite my grousing, I have really enjoyed steeping myself in the psycho universe. I want to say, even though I don't recommend the psycho book sequels, that is not true of the movies. There are some definitely interesting movie sequels. I really hope that you can find the $25 or more donation to find out my thoughts on that. Again, you can go to nowplayingpodcast.com for the next couple weeks. It's going to be there until Halloween, and then they're going to lock those shows up into the vault. But I had a great time exploring the Bates Motel with all of you, and I hope that you stick with Books and Nachos. As Arnie takes the reins, he's going to be steering this podcast in a new direction, as Now Playing focuses on the movie adaptations of Stephen King. He'll be covering them over here at Books and Nachos. I imagine I'll be popping in as well for a one-off here and there. Uh, Stay tuned. I do hope Hope you stay with us. Keep reading. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved.